Not a typical day. If you are a college football fan, a Big Ten football fan, and a Michigan football fan. Frankly, not a day for uh, nostalgia, fight songs, uh, passion, the pageantry of college football. Uh, It's the day the music died. The Big Ten Conference announcing just moments ago before we began taping this week's episode that for the first time since 1882, there will not be college football played in Ann Arbor, Michigan, or anywhere else in the Big Ten footprint, unless some schools, as Ohio State and Nebraska threatened to do earlier this week, unless some schools go independent for this fall. So given the unforeseen, unprecedented circumstances here, we are breaking away from our normal format on this show and bringing in our good friend Mark Rogers, the voice of college football, and one of the few, the proud, reasonable Ohio State football fans who I'm sure has a lot of thoughts on this news. Mark and I will be discussing them here uh, just kind of uh, free-flowing on our reaction, the uh, what we think of the decision that was made, and the irony of all of this. And Mark, I have to tell you, um, the irony of this decision being made, when you look at the timetable, so last Thursday they come out, they give us a schedule. On Friday they okay teams to begin uh, fall practice. On Saturday, the commissioner of the Big Ten who spent a good deal of time uh, promoting his new schedule on Thursday. On Saturday, he turns around and says he's in favor of moving the season to the spring. Um, I, I, that timetable just doesn't make any sense at all. Um, it, either uh, he's a clown show, frankly, or we were being misled. I mean, that, that level of about face, even in the world where I work professionally every day, I don't see flip-flops of this magnitude that fast. And and we have a study that comes out from the UK. It's the largest study of school-aged children uh, in, in the world that shows there's no real risk of coronavirus transmission in a school setting. Uh, we then have uh, the CDC comes out with data that shows if you are between the ages of 15 and 24, there is a 99.98% chance of recovery if you indeed test positive for coronavirus and succumb to symptoms. Um, we have Dr. Cameron Wolf of Duke University. You know, Mark, that's a pretty, you know, podunk chuco. They don't really have much of a reputation as a medical school. Was on ESPN earlier today talking about how, and he's, he's guiding the ACC's uh, medical process, talking about how absolutely he believes that they can safely mitigate this and navigate this. Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, was on Good Morning America saying they're hearing the same thing from their medical experts. We've heard nothing from any of these presidents whatsoever. As far as we know, we've not seen any images or, any, or tweets of them visiting football practices anywhere in the Big Ten like we have seen the chancellors and the presidents do in the SEC and the ACC, for example. The, the president of Wake Forest University went down and met with the players on Monday and said, hey, where are you guys at with this? How safe do you feel? We have not seen any of that 
in our conference at all. We've been given no transparency at all. We have seen all of the high pro, the highest profile coaches in our league have been in open rebellion. Jim Harbaugh, Ryan Day, uh, Jeff Brom, uh, James Franklin, just go on down the line. P.J. Fleck was eerily quiet. but um, And then just to turn around, cancel the season, say spring football is a possibility. First of all, how if, if you were serious about spring football, you'd have a contingency plan or something for that. It's clear they haven't even asked themselves that question, which means I believe we won't see football in this conference again until next fall at the absolute earliest. I believe other leagues are going to play this fall. And I think you're watching the Big Ten SMU itself. Remember that reference from the 80s? So, sort of a self-relegation. I think we won't see any Big Ten sports this entire school year now. And I think we are looking at this league putting itself potentially at a competitive disadvantage that in our lifetimes it may never recover from. And if I were the parent, Mark, one last thing, and then I'm going to give you the floor. I'm going to let you take all the time you want to say whatever you want. I don't know what you're going to say. I'll find out with the audience in real time. And then kind of once we've both made our you know big picture assessments, then we'll discuss the specifics from there. Okay. But if I were the parent of a Big Ten football player, I'll say this. I'd be telling him right now, um, as, the, as the old prophet Sam Kinison once said, move where the food is. Do not sit around here for the next six months and trust that a league that jerked your chain like this for the last week, hell, the last two months, brought you back on campus in early, mid-June, had you sacrifice, work out, give up all of your social life in order to, to keep the negative test and you keep the virus out and then turn right around after you did your job, turned right around and took your season away from you. You want to sit around, son, for next another six months and trust that they're going to have some magical once-in-a-lifetime spring season contingency lined up? I would not be doing that. I would be considering what my other options to play are. And I got to imagine, man, at schools like Ohio State and Michigan, which put, what, 23 guys in the NFL last April? I would imagine there's a lot of those conversations and text on phones right now, even as they're meeting with uh, their coaches and their players. And then you have Nebraska and Ohio State both yesterday went on television and threatened to go independent if the Big Ten made this move. So here we are, brother. And we're doing this at a time that all the other sports in America are back and playing. That's what is fascinatingly tragic about all of this. So, Mark, that's kind of my monologue. Now it's your turn. Your thoughts. I got to say, Steve, you know the history of the Big Ten as well as anyone. And you know historically that this conference has been very conservative when it comes to academic and moral issues, what could be deemed at times moral issues. And that's usually an admirable stance. It has been on many fronts. It's frustrated a lot of football, hardcore rabid football fans that only care about the football competition on the field. It's been frustrating to see the Big Ten lag behind the SEC in particular on certain turns concerning certain issues that um, directly relate to the football on the field and the product and the quality. Uh, But generally, I've been a supporter of the Big Ten in regards to trying to maintain the student-athlete balance as much as any high-powered league and probably more than any high-powered league in the country. Um, Concerning this particular decision, I couldn't agree more. Uh, about what you just stated, and most alarming to me is um, the the picture that you painted about the disconnect 
between the university presidents and what's happening on ground zero. So we know that there must be a balance in leadership of detaching yourself from the emotional, detaching yourself from the specific case incidents and circumstances, isolated circumstances, and not becoming overly attached to any one particular situation, but knowing the metrics and the broad view scope from the treetops, but also having engagement and attachment to what is happening on the front lines. And for the university presidents, as you just mentioned, and, and I had the same thought in my mind regarding what I've seen in other conferences across the country, not have that attachment to know the vibe, the heartbeat, the will of the players and the coaches, and not to take that into account because they would have to be blind and deaf uh, at this point not to know, uh, based on the outcry that we most specifically heard from a Ryan Day, from a Scott Frost and others, as you mentioned, just in the last 24 hours, is alarming. I thought the repeal of the vote or what leaked out as a preliminary vote at 12 to 2 with only Nebraska and Iowa um, voting to play football, play fall sports, um, and that being repealed, I was hoping that that would speak volumes to say, hey, let's understand. Now we're seeing the visibility of our most um, popular and the, the face of the conference on many fronts come out uh, against this. Let's pull this back and see where we stand and maybe reach out to the other four conferences and, and see if we're missing something. Uh, I, I was I held out some hope for that. So you're starting to hear where I've landed on this. And I've taken this COVID situation. Um, anytime I have had to address this, as you have, with all the comments and questions that we get on a daily basis, uh, we have had to go from football experts, analysts of some variety, um, where that delves into organization and administration at times, and we're used to that. Now we've had to go into the medical field to a certain extent, and I have um, I pulled back from uh, that to a certain extent in regards to trying to say that I, I know the outcomes, but I've tried to pull from as many sources as possible and reasonable sources to put some perspective on this, and I've tried to take this COVID situation as severely and serious as possible because, yes, for the people that are impacted, it is extremely serious. But as you gave us thought there regarding this latest study, and there are others out there that are credible studies, we are talking about a group of people that are least impacted by this. When we talk about risk-free, when we talk about um, risks that are inherent in life, I, I felt it almost ludicrous when I read the demands of the Pac-12 players that organized a couple weeks ago and uh, set, sent their manifesto to Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott uh, when they said that they wanted, quote, um, assurance of health. And, and that they're, they're playing the sport, a collision sport of football, first and foremost. And secondly, we're all running a risk when we step outside our door each and every day and to weigh the metrics and the percentages of the risk involved in this for this demographic and for the health conditions for this demographic for these athletes versus what they encounter in everyday life. I believe that the um, 
that the health risk was certainly worth it. And with some recent studies and information coming out in recent weeks concerning possible long-term effects, I was even trying to take that into consideration. Again, uh, taking a very conservative approach to it uh, to put the health, of course, in front of the football. But I think as we've seen in society, uh, a lot of people are not taking into consideration, and it must be the Big Ten presidents as well and commissioner, not taking the ramifications of all the other things involved. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about, as you alluded to, who knows what the ramifications of this conference could be. We talk sometimes concerning huge events uh, about the right side of history and being on the wrong side of history. Well, if there is a semi-successful conclusion to a football season involving the Big Ten's competitors in the SEC, the ACC, and the Big 12, then it is going to look horrible for this conference. And some of the things you're talking about could could be uh, a decades in trying to repair uh, the reputation of this conference as a football power. Mark, I think whatever the odds that the ACC and the SEC and, you know, I, I know a lot of people in the Big 12. Uh, you've got, you know, I used to cover Iowa State professionally. I know their athletic director personally for years. Uh, the commissioner of the league used to be the University of Iowa's athletic director. I knew him too personally when I used to cover him professionally. Um, so I've, I've, you know, I've got a lot of different associations in the Big Twelve. You know, the 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 assessment of them as kind of being the league that's kind of torn is accurate. But whatever the odds that the ACC and the SEC were going to go forward and play, I think they actually increased today. And I think there's two reasons for that. One is, I mean, let's face it, the SEC would see this as an opportunity competitively to distance itself generationally, basically. Like it is competitively already superior to the Big Ten. We we have to recognize that. Those those are the facts. But now you're talking about from a branding, uh, market share. Uh, I mean, this is a chance to for them to essentially become a generational uh, giant uh, with the Big Ten essentially self-relegating. But you look at what what also happened today. Um, you know, to ha- for the ACC to have its infectious disease expert doing the media rounds, doing an appearance nationally on ESPN this morning. I mean, Mark, I mean, if you're going to put your people out there, Greg Sankey's going to go on Good Morning America. Hey, I mean, our people are telling us it's safe to go forward and play. I mean, <laughs> I think you know where I'm going with this, Mark. If you're laying down your markers like that and then don't play, come back a week or so later and say, well, man, um, you know, uh, it's really not safe after all. Suddenly it just made the Big Ten look like, you know, they they made the the wise, prudent, difficult choice and they're the adults in the room, right? I mean, if you're going to put your infectious disease experts out there, you're going to do press conferences with them, you're going to tout them on national television, you're going to let them make the case for you to national media, you're staking a lot of your own credibility on this. And and I, I think they're kind of almost pot committed the other way now. Like they, they almost kind of have to see this through now. Otherwise, everything we just said about the Big Ten, which was, sure you want to go play there? Sure you can trust them? You know, works the other way now, right? If, if if those leagues that played their, you know, that played strong hands today about we are going to play and here's why, then punk out at the end, 
then it kind of looks like, you, you know, Big Ten coaches then can start saying to their recruits, man, they really weren't serious about your health this entire time. You know, look, I mean, they, they at least are, hey, may not agree with our decision in our league. I didn't agree with it myself at the time, but you can't say we didn't take your well-being first and foremost. Can you say that about those schools down there? You know what I'm trying to say? I think there is a lot generationally in terms of the balance of power and what this sport looks like moving forward. There's a lot generationally riding on this right now on both ends of this. That if those other schools, if those other leagues play a season and it's for the most part, yeah, we have positive tests, but you know, nobody's intubated on a ventilator or dies. I don't believe our league will ever recover from this competitively, Mark. I don't. Not in, I mean, you and I are both well into our 40s. I don't think we'll ever competitively recover from it. And I think those yeah. other leagues will surge way ahead of us in, in, in the time moving forward. On the other yeah, hand, yeah. if the opposite happens, it works the other way too, right? If the opposite happens. Yeah, I, I think that the benefit to the Big Ten making this decision, if we're focusing on the long-term ramifications, I think the benefits for the Big Ten are substantial, but they don't come anywhere close to the drawbacks of making the wrong decision. I think what you just laid out in terms of the SEC gaining uh, an even greater advantage, and I will put the ACC in the same camp because even though they aren't as dedicated to football, they're certainly geographically mm -hmm. and in regards to population shift in a place where they could surpass the Big Ten if they run their league correctly and uh, the certain you know administrations are dedicated to football in the right places like Florida State and Miami, they could certainly surge ahead of the Big Ten because they've got those inherent advantages or those advantages that have come in the last two or three decades in terms of population shift. Uh, but I think while the Big Ten could benefit from this, if all goes uh, south, <laughs> pardon the pun, mm -hmm. uh, for the football season uh, here in 2020, um, I, I don't think that those benefits are going to pay off quite as much as um, the drawbacks or the catastrophe that would ensue if the football is played and played to a conclusion and there's a successful season, uh, how that's going to impact the Big Ten negatively. Uh, and, and this is a league, if you ask most college football fans, what league made the most football revenue this past season or the last one that has been studied, uh, they would 90-some they would percent would say the SEC, of course. But actually, it was the Big Ten uh, that brought in as much as $55 million in revenue per team. And that was a good six to eight million dollars more than each SEC school. Um, so this is a league that's, uh, of course, running step in step with the SEC and all other non-competitive measures right. on the field. I mean, Northwestern and Purdue generate more television revenue every year than Notre Dame does, for example. There you go. And Notre Dame has its own has its own television network. Attendance in the seats. These are the two leagues that run the sport. But there's going to be one league that runs the sport, and if there's a second, again, I would project into the future if this season's successful in 2020 it would be the acc some questions i think that uh, the president should be made to answer number one you don't want to accept the liability of 100 football players on your campus who are already forced to live the most disciplined structured lives of any of the rest of your student body by the nature of what they do and because of, of their value, receive the best health care of anyone on campus. You don't want to assume the risk, despite those advantages, of those 100 football players. 
but you're assuming the risks of bringing thousands of students back to your campuses this month? Oh, I get it. If they pay exorbitant room and board to you, then it's a liability risk worth assuming. Uh, how is that even possibly a, 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 a defensible position? Which means I think what is likely going to happen is they're going to send all these students back home like they did in March. In our footprint, anyway. What will happen nationwide, I don't know. But I think in our footprint, you're going to see, without football, you're going to see all the students sent back. And, and then it begs the question of that Trevor Lawrence and a lot of other high-prominent uh, college football players have brought up. I think of Kylan Hill at Mississippi State. You know, basically, he got rid of the Confederate flag in the state of Mississippi a month ago by threatening to sit out if they didn't remove it finally. They removed it in a month. Now he's out there tweeting, guys, man, I, I saw people get killed, died, you know, when I was back home for a few months. There's nothing for me there. I, I need this. This is my way out. I, I could have gone pro last year. I came back. I need this. Don't send me back home. There's nothing for me back there. Well, if they're not going to keep the students on campus, then they are going to send them back home. So what happens when somebody falls back into the wrong crowd because their meal ticket out is gone? What happens to depression what happens to drug use? All those other things that go along with this that I guess suddenly just, you know, aren't as, just don't matter as much as, a, you know, the fact that we might have a 0.2% issue with, with coronavirus. I don't know how that is a defensible position either. And, and I would love to know why they have not been engaging their own players and their own programs and uh, during this process, and then finally, how much of all these endowments that all these Big Ten schools have? You know, right now, the University of Illinois is sitting on $325 million in public university athletic department debt, number two in the country. Michigan is fourth, $300 million in public university athletic department debt. Ohio State and Minnesota have well over $200 million apiece amongst them as well. So who's paying for that this entire time? Um, how much of your endowments are you going to go into? Because football sponsors all of these sports, all of them. So um, I, those are some of the questions that I think these presidents should be made to answer. But unfortunately, we just don't seem to be given any access to them. They're able to make all these decisions quietly, privately. Maybe And maybe it, is, maybe it is the right decision. Maybe they know something the infectious disease expert at one of the best medical schools in America, Duke University, doesn't know. Maybe they do. It's possible. You have great medical schools here in the Big Ten. Ohio State has one. Michigan is one of the best med schools in the world. Wouldn't you like to know what that information is, though? And, and furthermore, forget schmucks named Mark and Steve. Justin Fields does, isn't entitled to learn that information. He doesn't get to know. Ryan Day doesn't get to know. Jim Harbaugh doesn't get to know. Right? I mean, uh, James Franklin's not entitled to know what that information is. The, the way that this has been managed, Mark... And handled is a freaking clown show and this these are supposedly the smartest people in the room america's academics america's intellectual elites and this has looked like freaking dwarf on golf mark steve i'm still stuck on what you brought up just a few minutes ago regarding kylan hill uh going back home and laying out a description of what that looks like to him uh, in a situation that we've been suffering through for the last five months, where we've largely ignored 
people have been stuck on these whole numbers of cases, cases tested positive and deaths, not following the demographic lean that is severe to better understand, at least at that next level, we're just talking about a level two, not a level 10 understanding of the impact of this uh, virus. And here you are hitting upon um, a demographic, meaning young men aged 18 to 22 that have been, aside from this COVID situation, just in the last few decades, more impacted by depression and suicide than, than any demographic. And we're putting hundreds and now thousands of, of student athletes in the position of, of more susceptibility uh, toward that that harm, that, that perspective on life. I'm sure that wasn't taken into consideration. Of course, well, we don't know. We don't know. These guys, but these guys made decisions that are cost how many people jobs in our footprint, how many businesses, bars, restaurants, clothers, how many of those are going to close down these, a website like mine, Wolverine Digest. I mean, if we don't have any big 10 sports is sports illustrated going to continue to say, Hey, you know, we're invested at this level. We go a whole calendar year without any sports to cover. I mean, these guys made decisions without any transparency whatsoever that affect a lot more things than just, you know, some odd, you know, incident of liability 10 years from now that they're worried about. So was it simply the fear of litigation? That's what I keep coming back to that being so strong to fly in the face of all other logic. Uh, maybe how about the litigation of, Hey, you sent my baby home and he got shot up. Um, and, and, you know, uh, you, you, rather than keeping him on campus, you know, maybe there's that litigation in the future, who knows, but the, the, let's hope not. Cause that's a tragedy, but these things happen in America all the time, unfortunately. And that's why guys use things like football to escape those kinds of tragedies. Final thing, Mark moving forward. So Ryan Day went on ESPN yesterday and said, yeah, we, I'm with Scott Frost. We want to, we'll find a way to play any way we can. I listened to an interview this morning with the guy who covers the Huskers for the Omaha World Herald. And he said he took he took this question all the way up to the Board of Regents. He wanted to see, hey, was Scott Frost just kind of popping off like it was at the end of the 98 Orange Bowl when it was Tom Osborne's last game? Or is this legit? And he, he said in this interview, the athletic director, the school president, all the way up to the Board of Regents, adamant, that Nebraska's playing football this fall even if they have to go out and do their own schedule. I, w- I heard from a very good source about a month and a half ago when it looked like it was kind of every man's for himself that Nebraska did have pretty much its own schedule lined up as a contingency already. Do you think we're going to see? I mean, Jim Harbaugh is like, how we, why would you shut us down? We had 353 consecutive negative tests. We've had 353 consecutive negative tests. Do you think we're going to see some saber rattling here that moves to actual action? That's, I think, is the big story. I think we both know Florida State's on the phone to Justin Fields right now. Hey, we, we, we could use a quarterback. You ever seen Mike Norvell's offense? We all know that's going on. But could we see programs essentially say, we are not going along with this. We're going to find a way to play football. If it means we got to join the Big 12, join the SEC, play independently. But our kids have worked too hard. We're playing. Do you think we're going to see Big 10 teams actually go forward with this? Well, I think it's going to be important which schools 
well, it's not going to be the schools. It's obviously going to be the football programs. And yes, the schools, I guess, to a certain extent. Anyway, uh, it's going to be important for them to move quickly uh, to grab up those spots because there's there's some math and logistics that need to be worked out when you assimilate into a, a league as Notre Dame has. But that was already a natural fit to a certain extent. Uh, so, so there's only so many programs that can latch on to other conferences and I don't know what all the logistics or math or how they could be worked out. It would, it would have to be um, worked out. But, yeah, I, I do believe, based on maybe I was just too swayed by the, the fire in the eyes and the passion of a Scott Frost and a Ryan Day, those are the two that, I, that, that hit home the most in regards to they seemed extremely adamant. Now, Scott Frost more toward the lean of, if the Big Ten's going to decide this, sure, we want to play Big Ten football, of course. But if they don't, we're we're looking to play football. We are playing football. Ryan Day was it was more of a plea of we as Ohio State are going to push for the Big Ten to play football. Uh, his, his was a less of a renegade speech. Um, but I got to think from what we've seen of Ryan Day in his short tenure at Ohio State uh, after the Clemson loss. In, in, in the face of the officiating and now in this situation that he's going to be pounding his fist and doing everything he can possible to maintain, shoot, his legacy and his potential to remain as a top-line coach, an elite coach of an elite program. We talk about the Big Ten uh, and its ramifications going forward. What about Ohio State uh, maintaining its elite status in college football not playing in 2020? Mark Rogers, voice of college football. Thanks for joining us uh, here today. Mark, always good to see you, brother. Take care. Good to see you, but not a good day. But uh, yes, definitely, Steve. We will have more on this here on this channel tomorrow on Bigger 10. Until then, go Blue.